This is episode 15 of the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Brady. I've just recently woken up. Uh, Art is here with us as well. And we have Julian Langer visiting us again today to talk about whatever the fuck comes up. Because you guys all know that we can't stay on a single topic to save our fucking lives. So I'll let Art take this away because, like I said, I'm fucking exhausted. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as Brady mentioned, we have Julian here with us today. He was uh, in a previous episode relatively not too long ago where we talked about badgers and other random things, which I feel, you know, well encompasses... Uh, kind of the more focal point of this episode is Julian self-publishing his two texts uh, for their, I believe it's second edition, right? Is this what it is? Yeah, second editions. And then what are the titles for those? So the first one is Feral Consciousness, Deconstruction of the Modern Myth and Returns to the Woods. And the second one is Feral Iconoclasm, Anarchy as Rising and Dying. And do you want to maybe go into what those books represent, why you felt maybe that they needed a second edition, and then we'll start there. So those two questions, what they are about and what's the purpose of the second edition? Um, so the, uh, what they're about, they're, they're, both, they're about very similar things mm. and in many ways like the same thing. Um, and then it's and in the way that everything's different, they are different books and have different focuses. Um, they're both kind of critiques of like civilization of a certain sort of critique and kind of a different type of critique. Um, feral consciousness is more about um, psychology and, um, and sociology and then kind of individualistic approaches to um, and actions and and just different thoughts that I was having at the time of writing. It's kind of difficult to pinpoint yeah. one thing because I've, I've I wrote I wrote both of them quite. Um, what I want to use is kind of schizophrenically in the sense of kind of just being in moving through different realities in kind of different ways. So moving through kind of different ideological realities and just kind of think like looking at kind of the ways that those split out and those different differentiate and just kind of differentiating more and more. Um, feral iconoclasm, feral consciousness is about deconstruction, feral iconoclasm is about destruction, which again is a similar thing, but kind of different. Um, it's less kind of just taking apart things and destruction is more just kind of a, it's almost like a nihilistic annihilation quality. So I, I use the kind of mm -hmm. nihilist image a lot in that, in that book. Um, also feral consciousness is much more kind of, informational whereas feral iconoclasm there is a degree so all writing to a degree in my belief is kind of speculative fiction because writing is never real because real things happen outside of writing um so it's kind of there is a degree to which it's it's there's a there's kind of this like playful image of this kind of not real it's it's not a movement but it's like a kind of movement or like a cult or whatever you want to call it the like the the kind of, of feral iconoclasts which like there's no one calling themselves a feral iconoclast i don't even call myself a feral iconoclast but then i call kind of lots of people like, and lots of projects and lots of things going on like lots of processes going on as feral iconoclasm and feral iconoclasts so so yeah, yeah. like there's I, i'd include this project under that and then i'd also include kind of some very different type stuff and it's it's like a 
it's a, it's just a it's a term that I've used kind of quite playfully. In terms of why I did the second editions, why I've uh, self-published those, because they were originally published um, by Little Black Cart, um, who I worked with through doing those, and that's and the, they're still selling first editions, and they're you know, and between me and Little Black Heart, there is there was a strong relationship um, between me and uh, Aragorn, um, who sadly, like really sadly, passed away at the beginning of this year. Um, mm-hmm. And and Aragorn had really encouraged me um, to work on a on a third um, book as kind of to make this kind of like a, a trilogy thing. And the third book. Um, is written and just being kind of reviewed by some people I respect to just kind of get feedback and um, but that's basically kind of finished at this point and I'm planning to put that out towards the end of this year um, but with Aragorn passing I'd wanted to work on that book with, with in terms of me working on it with LBC I wanted to work on it with Aragorn with Aragorn passing it was like I didn't have that same desire to, to do it through Little Black Heart um, and then I'd also there was a um, someone whose name and whatnot will stay out of this, and they've got nothing to do with kind of anarchist discourse or radical discourse in any way. This is someone I knew very personally, um, but an individual who I knew who passed away last year. Um, they'd encouraged me to write something of the sort of book that this third book is going to be, which is kind of much more kind of practice orientated than the other other two, um, and kind of actually sets out kind of some more some less kind of analytical stuff and some more kind of active ideas if that makes sense um and kind of doing that as something different i i felt the need to kind of if i'm self-publishing this book for these reasons of kind of having a this different relationship to this book i wanted to have the other two kind of self-publish those as well and to do and to kind of remake those um very slightly like the they're very similar to the, the first editions, very little difference. Um, but just kind of have those out there as kind of stuff that I'm putting out there myself. Um, so yeah, that, don't know if that made sense between my ramblings, but that's the best answer I can give. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just to kind of go over it a little bit from what I heard. So you've got feral consciousness, which is sort of the, the sociological and psycho- uh, psychological understanding of the thoughts. You've got feral iconoclasm, which is talking more about I kind of like the word creative destruction or the term creative destruction. <laughs> and yep. then you've got more of the the practical application of all those ideas to sort of round it out. Yeah, that, that's kind of the, the I, I, you know, I love both of the kind of first two books and I'm really, you know, uh, there, there's, there's flaws to both of them because I'm imperfect and, and any writers what? in perfect need books and books. Oh yeah, I know. Like, look at me. I, I'm, I, if you look at any image of me, of course I'm perfection. But no, no. There, there's flaws to this individual, and there's and my brain is limited, and my mind is limited, and like what I can write is limited. So like, and my reasoning will be limited in the way that all reasoning is limited. Um, and that's absurdism <laughs> in terms of epistemology. Um, but like, I, I think the the third book is. Like the best of, of the of the three like in terms of what I've, I've done with that so i'm kind of excited for that but i wanted to have those other two kind of available independent from lbc like 
the third one will be. Um, and that's why I re-put those out there. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Okay, yeah. yeah, and I, I wrote in a review that we will have in the description for these for these books and that I wrote that reading iconoclasm and consciousness as theory, like you would Marx, Lenin, Zerzan, Kaczynski, you know, whoever, whoever kind of almost like doesn't work because when I first read them, uh, I, it was kind of scattered readings when I had time. And I wrote that it was frustrating. I was like, bro, what the fuck is Julian trying to say? <laughs> what are these words? But then I, I read it more, and I I say it along the line of um, reading a journal of an expressive mind. So more reading as someone who's trying to have a conversation rather than someone who's just putting words down that need to be read in a very specific way. Because you know, someone like you that is into deconstruction, you have a different way of viewing uh, literature and how people perceive literature than I think a lot of people who write or want to write do. And so they need to go into it not looking at like some you know daunting theory but more of a beginning of conversation or in expressing how you yourself feel and your own critiques against civilization uh you know ideology ideology materialism things like that would you say that's a correct kind of a what you know assumption of course this is only the way i perceive and people can read it a thousand different ways the way the way i put it um which i think you're kind of on the right track with um is that I'm not trying to say something certain, and I'm not trying to build a, a kind of... Ted Kaczynski is trying to build a framework. He's trying to build something that you can read and be certain of and understand. And I'm trying to go unbuild things, unmake things, and have a kind of... leave with a space of that uncomfortable kind of uncertainty space, which is kind of just... I bring it back because you've mentioned the absurdist thing, which is absurdism, which is just kind of leaving... You know, if you read absurdist literature, if you read kind of and if you have these kind of experiences as what i'd kind of called like an, an absurdist kind of relationship to the world like i don't want to kind of present I'm, I'm i'm not coming at this with a god's eye view i'm not coming at this like saying i i i understand everything and i can give you kind of truth or whatever like you know in, in the ways that you know there's an you know, I have a lot of respect for Zerzan, but he believes he understands things and knows things in a way where it's 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 God's eye view stuff and, and that kind of perception, um, that relationship to kind of the world is very civilized, very, very civilized and very, um, very much, in my belief, part of how we got to where we are. Whereas I want to kind of, I want to reflect something that is kind of more earthly and kind of and bring up things and phenomena that are kind of in the way and kind of and block pathways and then open up new pathways and then there's like but there are no pathways as well because it's you know there's just space and we're just moving through these spaces and we don't really have a map or a kind of a place where we're trying to get to um and even if we get to where we're trying to get to we we find that we don't want to be here because it's never good enough and we want to go somewhere else and i'm not and so i'm not trying to you know as much as in in the way that all writing is building a reality, I've built a reality and through these books, but I'm more just trying to kind of go there is these realities the books in themselves aren't real. The books in themselves aren't kind of what's what's true and what is kind of on a ecological kind of sense of, of truth and, and value, because what's true and valuable is immediate and fleshy and it's trees and it's badgers and it's rivers and it's you know 
and it's human bodies like you know and it's all these all these things that are physical and fleshy and it's not like stuff written down on paper or numbers like laws and economic stuff and all that it's not political programming and you, you get what i mean yeah no it, that makes a lot of sense to me too honestly because that that's one of the main critiques that i've had a lot uh, with a lot of these uh, writers or theorists or whoever you want to call them zerzan kaczynski is that that sort of uh, god's eye view that you mentioned they almost try to whether it's intentionally being kaczynski or whether it's i would say more unintentionally trying to be a little bit more charitable to zerzan uh, sort yeah. of sort of this profit status that they almost mm -hmm. try to give themselves and I think that it's it's so funny when you're talking about a concept such as like feral rage or uh, just returning to wild or whatever the fuck you want to call it, however you see it, however you feel it. I always thought it was very funny that they tried to draw these very strict lines in theory where you do this, you have to do this next, then you go to this and you can't pass to the you can't pass go until you've done these objectives. Where, like you, like you said earlier, that's a very uh, civilized political structure and almost a very uh, just structurally sound in terms of how they try to lay it out political program, which I always thought was funny from the sort of reading that I was doing. So I, I do like that you sort of tried to break down that, uh, that uh, tradition, that negative tradition that we've seemed to stumble into in uh, the year of 2020. The comment that Art made in their review, which I absolutely, um, absolutely loved, which was so Kaczynski, just to focus on Kaczynski, because I do, you know, I don't feel I, in the same way as you express, like, you know, I have an appreciation for Zerzan and kind of don't feel his is as intentional as kind of Kaczynski in this way. But Kaczynski wants to be a great thinker. And oh, Art, yeah. And, and Art calls me says i'm not a great thinker and that's that's perfect because i don't want to be a great thinker i want to be like <laughs> diogenes the kind of madman and the kind of because divine madness is something we, we kind of need we need this kind of divine ecstatic madness of kind of oh my god ah and not this kind of like oh i'm i'm like plato and i understand everything and i can guide you because i'm philosopher king <laughs> like you know, I, i'm very much exactly. you know i i i'm just i want to hang out with the dogs and tell uh, alexander to get out of my sunlight yeah no exactly it's like it's it's almost like uh this sort of uh i don't know how i want to say this almost this sort of civilized programming that we've all experienced in our lives is something that comes up again and again no matter what type of theory or no matter what type of uh, sort of expressive writing that you're reading even coming from zerzan when he's trying to be as absurd as possible talking about nine foot humans who can communicate uh, can communicate telepathically. There's still sort of this civilized <laughs> programming and civilized framework that shows itself in its writing. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I've I've felt that a lot, but uh, didn't necessarily know how to express it. And another thing, another thing is the way I the way I I think this is a conversation Julian and I had privately was the concept of like being authoritarian in your own writing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of going off what you know you two were saying about being overly structured, civilized. And this is a critique that you've given me of my own writing and how I can move forward. And I've always appreciated the way you've you've been constructive with don't try to like tell people this shit, just express it. Don't be authoritarian. And I think that's what a lot of people miss. It, 
in in these theories and then so for example like uh i've also like compared you to in the in in the review like daniel quinn's uh ishmael's story of b and then john moore who i like a lot because i feel like he never in in at least in the things i read that top-down prophetic viewpoint he was just very expressive especially in the beyond the fragments a reaction to industrial society and its future and i think what he talks about in there about finding you know the drums the spears your internal you know feralness that beckons a lot to what i read in, in your works especially but i wouldn't say you're i you know you're like them but it's just a comparison to make for those that are listening or read the review that they're more maybe more exposed to that idea they can get an idea what they're going to find in your own writing you know, no matter how absurd, so to speak, that you sound <laughs> when you do write. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, it doesn't always have to be a, a negative thing either. I don't want uh, people listening to this to sort of get the, the wrong idea from, from me. And I'm assuming Julian probably feels the same way. Because necessarily when you're reading a book like uh, ISAIF, there, there is sort of this uh, intrinsic knowledge that you're going to the book to read. So there are definitely instances where that sort of writing can be can be useful, where you feel like you have this information that that the world needs to know about, and you need to structure it in a certain way so people can can understand what you're thinking and not take it in in wrong directions. So don't get me wrong when I when I say that, but they're like I, I sort of just had this idea pop in my head, like you can't make uh, this sort of uh, feral vitriolic rage and disgust with what's happening in our world today and what's happening in our lives and always has been you can't make that bubble up with this sort of eagle-eyed better than thou or prophetic writing you have to sit someone down in a chair and talk to them like they're a child who doesn't understand anything that that doesn't i I don't think that works when we're talking about the sort of topics that are being discussed and uh, the books that Julian are writing as well. So sorry to cut you off, Julian, but I, I just wanted to mention that. No, it's 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 fine. I was just I was just going to say to Art that I appreciate the comparisons because I have a a, a fondness for both Daniel Quinn and uh, John Moore, and it's 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 wonderful to be compared to both of them. <laughs> yeah, when I was reading it, because I've only more discovered more recently read John Moore, who I should have been reading like three years ago, but oops, uh, his. His Beyond the Fragments, you know, like I talked about, the drums, the spears, it had this very, like, you know, where, where it trades between individualism and collectivism, which I kind of see in your own writing as well, um, that you can kind of move between these two. What they're, You know, they're not proper dichotomies, and you sort of break those down in your own writing, either intentionally or unintentionally, but I sort of see that sort of, that same energy that I found in that writing. But again, you're also highly unique in the way that you do write because you know you're you're taking from Deleuze, uh, the lights of Freud, Lacan, Derrida. I'm probably saying that wrong. You don't get mad at me. Uh, and then uh, what's his name? Althusser. Is that how you say his name? Uh, the Marxist. I've, he's never told Althusser. me how to say his name. Then you know whatever, however you pronounce it. And it's so weird because it's like these are people that you know a lot of them take it in this Marxist you know historically materialistic direction and you're taking that in the complete fucking opposite direction <laughs> and you and while you're doing it you know you take from them but you're simultaneously critiquing and building off of them in this long you know this process of your writing which i found it's like when i when i think of deleuze freud lacan i don't think that someone like you know what i'm going to use them and then 
you know, express my hatred of civilization. You know what I mean? People don't typically take from them. They take from bigger name, you know, ecologists and, you know, what have you. And so I thought it was interesting that you're taking from this sort of diverse, almost unpredictable or unorthodox pool of thinkers and, you know, taking it in your own individual direction. And that's what I liked a lot too in your writing is because I've been exposed slightly to some of them. And even though I haven't been, you know, I'm not an expert in deconstructionism or uh, Deleuzian thought or anything like that, I was still able to follow what you were saying because you didn't have that authoritarian top-down, you know, writing style. In terms of just going back to kind of like alternative, um, not the not kind of usual places for this area of thought to come from, um, and why I've kind of done that, um, why I've, that was my kind of, I didn't come to anti-civilizational thought from ecology. I came to it through philosophy of technology and, and through philosophy and sociology and psychology and looking at kind of as disciplines. Like I wasn't looking at environmental science stuff and I wasn't looking at, um, you know, learning those sorts of things through my kind of, through my studies. Um, and then in terms of, if you, there's the, the phrase, if, if you meet the Buddha on the road, you kill him. And so in terms of like, I wanted to kind of, there's a degree to it, I wanted to kill Freud, but what, if, what do you do if you've, if you've got no food and, you know, there's a food crisis going on, well, you eat Freud, like Freud, Freud's got meat to him that you can consume and then, you know, and have as part of you because you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you got into technology of philosophy, who was, did you have a major thinker? Was it, you know, Mumford, Alul? God say, you know, God forgive me for saying Heidegger, you know, was it any of them? Like, how did you kind of get into philosophy of technology? Because a lot of people don't really understand that as a, as its own independent form of philosophy. You know, I wrote about this a lot in a, um, in an essay that got published by, um, Gods and Radicals. And then it's, it's on the Anarchist Library website. Um, so I was a teenage cancer patient and my relationship with technology kind of was, massively affected by my experiences as a, as a cancer patient and um like things like the the experience of being in um radiation therapy and being in the um oh, the name's gone out of my head now um but having kind of brain scans and whatnot um and that's something that is 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 really weird for someone from an anti-civ perspective to come come with because it's all about medical technology which is the kind of thing that everyone kind of goes you're you're evil for being anti-civ because people need medical technology um and i get that it's a not an, a kind of comfortable place for me to kind of bring up here but i had this kind of experience of technology and and a relationship to the world while i was going through treatment which is different in many ways to my relationship to the world now um but also similar in lots of ways um my, my background is you know is very mixed um kind of culturally and politically and like religiously between my family the size of my family and family members and in terms of my own existential crisis like i started reading um existentialist philosophy stuff when i was like 15 and just kind of like re and i was i was exploring different religious traditions like in my early teens and just trying to find kind of meaning and truth in those sorts of ways and just kind of having little identity crises and existential crises as a kid and then when i was i started my undergraduate degree kind of 
after I'd finished my treatment um, and I was just studying and just using kind of access to information and like different journals and whatnot, just going through things and just and being really kind of greedy for information and just researching and researching and researching and and then so yeah as you said it's kind of like as you indicated it's a a very you've got to be kind of obviously fuck nazis um but i i read heidegger on and the question concerning technology and i and it really fit my experience like his thoughts on technology and i just got more interested in philosophy of technology from there particularly kind of critics of, of technology and so i went from kind of heideggerian kind of area of philosophy very quickly into kind of the zanian and kind of permissivity stuff and and that was kind of a very analytic thing but the analysis was not what brought me to my relationship to technology what brought me to my relationship with technology my thoughts on technology is my experiences as a cancer patient and then it was just that these ideas kind of matched my experience was the essay that you're referring to by the way cancer technology and ineffable, ineffable visceral space yeah that's the, the um, that's the essay Okay, then we can, if you want, we can have that linked in the description because I've read that before and I, I thought this that was the same one. I remember when you got it published. I remember reading that. I was just taken back. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a break. it's a break from, I think, it, personally, the way it read for me was a break from your typical writings, especially your feral iconoclasm and feral consciousness, but it's still very much carried a weight to it. Uh, you know, as it is a very personal writing, it's going to carry that sort of realistic so to speak experience you know what i mean you're not talking theory you're talking well you know things that happened in real life to you and how that you know brought you to a certain perspective and you know i've i've had similar but not congruent experiences that brought me to where i am um and i'm not going to compare you know what happened with me and you know going through cancer treatment and everything but i've had a similar experience so i could connect to it a lot um, and so I actually like like thank you for bringing that up because that's really like interesting, but it's also personal in a way. You know what I mean? Both in writing and in the podcast. Uh, so another thing is, um, how did you start getting into then like incorporating your critique of technology and deconstruction and deconstructionist theory? Uh, would it be fair to say like post structuralism? Yeah, as well. Um, Okay, you know, how did you involve that? Because I don't typically see that in, in primitivism or anti-civ or radical, whatever you want to call it. So how did that, because I think that's what makes you most unique in most of your writing, is is the incorporation of those ideas. So I, post-structuralism as a as discourse, I think lends itself to kind of what could be called a primitivist kind of perspective, more than primitivists generally kind of realize um so because the way i experience um post-structuralist thought um is as civilizational reasoning and civilizational analysis um cannibalizing itself and so it's if you think of civilization as something that's expansive until the point where it's you know it's gotten so wide stretching that it can't get any further on this planet that it lives on like it's starting to it's self-cannibalizing itself i feel that that's what what is happening within a lot of kind of 
like Dorita's free play and as kind of the, as the decentering of of the human kind of universe, and then like uh, Deleuze's coming animal and all these kind of things that there is a there is a wild kind of earthliness to them, which is not kind of seen and kind of missed um, behind kind of this vulgar kind of I guess prejudice is kind of the only real honest word I can use for it. But what the way I I phrased it in feral consciousness was if kind of the primitive stuff is kind of like Dionysian in kind of as Dionysus being like this foresty god and who's kind of wild and passionate and artistic um what i was trying to do is you've got the apollonian which is enlightenment the sun god if you hyper exploit the um apollonian it kind of falls apart into the dionysian and the way that i phrased this in the third book um is is using kind of again not very unprimitivist kind of uh imagery here but if you have a if you intensify the gravity, so gravity being like the, the pulling in the in our relationship to gravity, kind of the pulling to Earth. If you intensify the, like gravity, the gravity around stars. Um, no, sorry, if you if you intensify a star, stars get hotter and hotter and hotter, and they, there's more energy, more energy, more energy, and they explode. You can have a reaction where they fall into a, in, into becoming a black hole, which is the most intense gravity in our relationship to gravity being the tug to earth. So if we think of structuralist thought as the intensification of kind of of enlightenment thought and this kind of this way of this very domesticated way of looking at things, you intensify it in a kind of way that perhaps you could call accelerationist. Um, it reaches a point of breakdown where it breaks downwards gravitationally, like a, akin to a black hole, and which we kind of, you know, which fits kind of the imagery of nihilism and whatnot, the void, um, and you're left with this kind of dark, uncertain space, which is feral and Dionysian and wild, and and where kind of real primitivism, like that, that real kind of that real earthly panerotic like anarchy happens, and which is you know, why why I kind of do call myself a accelerationist of sorts because i think once it it reaches a singularity point it reaches a point of breakdown and when that happens kind of something something that's really valuable happens there and problem that i see with the kind of the regressive enlightenment route of kind of primitivism is that it's trying to try to make the machine kind of walk backwards rather than making the machine work harder to the point of breaking down. And I feel that that's the point. That's the, in theory and in, in the way that we think about things, I think that's the, the way that you get a more authentic relationship to the experience and the ideas. And, and it's, it's a kind of madness, a kind of intensification of thought and experience. Um, it's not, you know, it's it's mad ration rationalizing and mad understanding and which is limited and cannot encompass everything and so it ultimately you know in that way that we we reach a point where we cannot go further 
um, and then we push it to go further and then it breaks down and we you know we have that kind of experience of being a finite animal being a bit stupid and a bit like nothing and uncertain and unclear and that's kind of I've rambled way too much there. I don't know if any of that made any sense whatsoever, but that's my best kind of answer to that. I, I understand it as much as I think you could explain it, if that makes yeah, you feel that, better. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, talking about that, there's a few questions, you know, follow-up questions I have. Uh, first of all, it, and so mostly two points I want to I touch on. First, what does, you know, talking about pushing the system or the machine or whatever, this is further is that an action that we take as quote revolutionaries quote <laughs> you know quote uh or collapsitarians or whatever the hell is that something that we engage in in praxis is that something we do or is it or is it a natural process that in the meantime we try to exalt life as much as we can in our own wild creative spaces you know what i mean because i know you and i have talked about kind of what amounts to anti praxis or anti-organizational practice almost. Uh, so what does that mean uh, for you in terms of, you know, the machine going too far and then collapsing, and then we become dumb, infinite, or finite animals, <laughs> um, as you said? I, I, I am reluctant to, to, in terms of the we thing, like doing, like programming for others. Um, my okay. my experience is that things, are, things like this are, are happening in terms of in the, so the the process is what I've called feral iconic. So let me do a very. Um, this is not going to be I'm not going to be able to say this kind of as well as I'd like to. But as an example, um, you look at the intensification of the imagery of um, white supremacy recently, and the imagery of um, of police brutality and what's been what's been going on um, in dates uh you know for centuries and decades and recently you look at that and you look at the, so that if we treat the spectacle as something that is part of the postmodern machine it's been pushed to a point where there is breakdown there is a so iconoclasm is happening as just a, the, the feral thing for a second iconoclasm is just happening through you know they're literally tearing down icons now um and there is a wild desire for life i believe behind the kind of reaction to the reject reaction as the the rejection of this death machine the reaction of the death machine of police brutality so i'm not saying that these people are doing you know they've are doing my my thing like like is my programming or anything like that. But what I'm saying is this is the sort of thing that I call feral iconoclastic event. Um, and I don't feel that it's a revolutionary thing because revolution is a kind of progressive reality building, whereas this is a we are destroying this reality that we find intolerable and disgusting. And so I call this uh, an involutionary immediatist moment so rather than the hi historic history building of revolutions this is an involutionary moment an event that is right here right now an immediatist so other examples of immediatist actions that are not rather than planning out kind of a future in the way that revolutions do 
is kind of like so the kind of ALF, ELF, Hunt Sab kind of we're we're not waiting for the right historical conditions. We are you know we're smashing this equipment right here right now, and we are so agile trap. You stand on it, it collapses. You know um, the uh, police station or precinct, police precinct that burned down that collapsed. Um, well, I don't, I don't know. I yeah, you know, parts of the structure collapsed. I don't know if the whole building collapsed. Um, but that's the sort of something that has been designed. It's not something that's been managed. It is wild and life, and it's a refusal to deny being alive. And so, you know, and that's kind of in terms of the sort of thing I'm I'm, I'm meaning is is it's like that. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, no, I get you. And it's it's interesting because I think a lot of people have started to take to this in their own direction. So, for example, in, in, in Marxist circles that I also associate with, you begin to see the sort of more spontaneous Marxists. So those that take a little bit more from Luxembourg or communization theory mm-hmm. are are very much like, yeah, you know, we don't have to wait for the revolution. And it's like, but you're kind of reproducing very much of the same fucking rhetoric anyways. I mean, it's like, choose one. Are you are you? Are you for revolution? Are you for, you know, the proletariat or whatever you want to define them as is, is doing whatever the fuck they want? You know, because it's th- those are not the same thing. A revolution to like as a regressive trend in history re- as opposed to an exultion uh, of wants and needs or what have you. Uh, so I definitely I, I definitely connect with a lot of that. And that's something Brady and I have always kind of shit on, you know, Mark, you know, typically more Marxist Leninist style or 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 orthodox Marxists main, for the same sorry, sort of... Sorry to interrupt. My, my main issue with the, the revolution as a kind of idea, um, and one of my big issues with, with Marxism is, is that I personally, um, the way I, I see this culture, and kind of using the term this culture as a very broad, general thing of, of civilization, it's always been revolutionary. It's been that kind of idea of the permanent revolution. It's always been agricultural revolution, a scientific revolution, an industrial revolution. It's always been a, a process of history building. Um, and and I I see Marxism as the kind of the yes, the kind of as the, the fixing the kind of flaws of in civilization to make civilization work more effectively and more abusively towards Earth, which kind of is reflected within like Maoist kind of social policies and and Marx is disregard yeah. of the bees and whatnot, and and the way. So I I don't see anything radical within Marxism and within revolutionary kind of ideas because for me the revolution is is just normal everyday life within this culture. Just, yeah, I I was about to say I, that uh, as well, but very much not as intelligent as you said it. It's almost like <laughs> this this idea of like we were talking about with the writing earlier, like a revolution is very structured. You can, you can lay it out on paper. You know what it is. Uh, there are certain lines that you have to follow. There are certain objectives that you have to do. And I think when you're talking about sort of this idea of um, destruction towards the sort of material reality that we exist in now, how you explained it earlier, is this sort of fixed idea, fixed reality, which we find disgusting and it needs to go away. I think people put too much stake in sort of almost the civilized, structural, uh, structuralized idea of what a quote-unquote revolution is, like you explained with the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution. It's it's one of the most uh, civilized concepts that we see coming up all the time. So I find it funny when 
people sort of ascribe so much uh, importance to the idea of a revolution against the sort of material reality that we're existing in now altogether. I think it's kind of funny that they can make that connection in their heads. It's um, because revolutionary theory is often framed as countercultural, and there's a degree to which people who are kind of who find affinity with radical ideas and, and find themselves feeling rejecting of this of this culture um they they, they want to feel part of this countercultural movement rather than this kind of culture fixing thing and this kind of culture building thing um sorry so they see it as countercultural where where it is where from my perspective it is just culture fixing and culture continuing the, the building of this culture um and and there is a certain discomfort that comes with engaging with the the idea of destroying a reality that we're used to, and even on a very simple day to day level, the idea of our day to day realities having some level of destructuring is a kind of there's a there's a level of trauma that can go with that because we we like the homeostasis thing and we like to feel regulated and all that and it's and I kind of. And having something that's familiar in kind of this promised salvation through this great theological process where the kind of angels of the vanguard party will bring us to the promised <laughs> promised lands or you know whatever <laughs> like it's it's a it's a comfortable notion and it's a reassuring notion and i and i don't as much as i'm rejectful of the idea i have complete sympathy for the people who kind of feel that way and i can i i, I get it and can kind of there's a degree to which I, I i'd love to be able to believe in it in the same way that i'd, I'd yeah, love to be able yeah. to, it's the to same idea of an afterlife yeah, yeah yeah exactly it's the same idea of, of an afterlife like yes you may be suffering now but some forces beyond your control will, will eventually rise up and will take you to the place of uh, to the land of milk and cookies and you won't you won't hurt anymore you won't have any wants your your psychological trauma will be gone so yeah no that's i i totally understand what you're saying and, and this is exactly so i i agree very much with the kind of with the christian kind of socialists and and anarchists who say that kind of you know what in terms of like the what the social anarchists kind of want in their kind of revolutionary stuff and whatnot that Jesus and and the Bible kind of fits that that way of thinking, and and I I I can kind of I can in terms of when I was I used to practice Buddhism, which is not exactly the same as Christianity, but there's similar similarities in its kind of salvationist type of thinking. But like I used to put those things together to a degree when I was like seventeen years old, and and feeling those kind of feelings of wanting salvation and believing in it. And so I can you know I I don't there's one of so I, I you'll be familiar with the term, but just in terms of like uh, people who might not be, um, my ideas kind of fit within what we consider the I hate the term, but post left kind of anarchist tradition. And when post left kind of anarchists will be anti revolution or kind of critiquing leftism, there's a nastiness that goes on there, which is kind of and kind of snideness and sneeriness, which I which is like very elitist and crappy and i just i i am very sympathetic to these ideas i you know that i disagree with and kind of and i i get why you know why people will turn to murray bookchin's kind of ideas and bookchin ideas and why people will turn to you know 
Ted Kaczynski's revolutionary model or even, you know, DG Allah and whatnot, because the idea of having this revolutionary force that will save us um, or being part of this revolutionary force that's going to save the world is, is a very comfortable idea. And then I agree with everything that you just said, because I used to be very, me, Brady, and our friend Ben used to be very Kaczynskian. Brady and I had difference because he was, you know, into the more Metnovian platformist position. I was into like the vanguard sort of idea and I was super into that. And then it started to dawn on me. I was like, there is a lot of what you can call civilized or human or humanistic, very human thought in this. And it's antithetical to what I want. Because how can I, it's like the weird thing I always hear from like military members are, we don't, uh, what is it? The military doesn't practice democracy. We act, we act to save it or whatever the <laughs> hell. It's like, that's such a, a weird contradictory sort of thought. It's like, we are we are primitivists we are anarchists except in an organization it's like the fuck does that <laughs> it's essentially what it amounts to you're anti-authoritarian in theory but you're authoritarian in action so to speak and then you know there's gonna be marxist or like everything's authoritarian <laughs> I, 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 sh <laughs> I share your kind of feeling of unease there but i will i will say that i'm yeah, you know, at, at risk of being kind of controversial, I am not rejectful of contradictions and believe in paradoxes and, and embrace paradoxes kind of actively in my beliefs. So in terms of like, I, yeah. I, I share your, your disease with the kind of, with, with those sorts of political programmings and kind of institutional programmings. But I, I do, we are undoubtedly going to be living contradictory lives. The fact that we are talking about anti-civilizational thought through such a technologically mediated means is, is contradictory in itself and kind of and we will would you rather use would you prefer that would you rather use smart smoke signals <laughs> i mean you're a little over the pond <laughs> something if i could communicate anything to you in the way that i'd really like to i i just want to hug you and like and <laughs> and just have it all kind of in a non-sexual way just somatic and like you know give you a massage and like and rub your head and maybe scratch behind your ear, like I, I, I want. And then the knowledge very... just goes, and it just like it's, it's, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I've, I've I've said Brady, I'm not giving knowledge. I, I'm I'm trying to uh, encourage experience and, and oh absolutely, and, you know, and like and <laughs> I, I don't have any any truth to to give of a kind of knowledge informational basis. I just you know, or or I could just you know I could hug Art and then give you a slap, Brady. How about that? Oh, that works. I'm cool with it. Beautiful. There, I want to backtrack actually a little bit because uh, I had two questions back in your a rant about 20 minutes oh, my ago. Apologies. So whatever that. <laughs> oh, you're your good. No, no, I think that was a good. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was I'm trying to remember. It was about yeah because we've talked we've talked about you know feral you know feral consciousness feral iconoclasm. What to you and you alone? What does feral mean? look like and how do you practice it or is it not a form of practice but something that you find in yourself you know like what is it because some people seem to think they have a very essentialist you know view of primitivism uh be they primitivists themselves or you know critics of primitivism that we are naturally feral and primitive and we've just been programmed or or we're not you know this is unnatural unnatural this and that to you what does feral mean you know what i mean I I'm gonna. So this will be a bit of a long-winded answer. This is the only way I can do it with a bit of a long-winded answer. And please just just go with me. For, for, You're good. Go for right. it. 
and, go for it. And there'll be points where the people where you'll be kind of going, what is he saying? Uh, but like, this is, I'm going to do my best here. So there's a image that I love in uh, Agamben's book, Homo Saka, um, where he's, he's talking about were- werewolves as being um, caught between um, the forest and the city and belonging to neither, but living kind of between and within both and moving between both. And, and in terms of what I said earlier as being kind of a, a schizophrenic relationship, that's kind of what I, I mean by a schizophrenic relationship in terms of the idea. So kind of a schizoanalytic idea, so being split between different spaces, um, so geographically different spaces. So kind of being caught between kind of um, intensive urbanization. So um, comparatively intensive urbanization, I actually live somewhere very rural, um, but you know, relative to a few thousand years ago, this is very, very urban. Um, and being and kind of and the ancient woods that you know very close to where I live, um, being caught between kind of a very so I'm a you know at risk of kind of sounding like an arrogant twat, but I'm a very um, analytic person and I never stop my my brain very rarely shuts up in terms of just thinking about stuff and thinking about um, kind of ideas and concepts that are not here and now and are very kind of with it they're not real kind of experiences but like reality ideas and then also being in these spaces that are very real and immediate and kind of much more um, much more here and wild and just having that, that thing of not being in that paradoxical kind of contradictory state and we so in terms of one of the things i talk about in feral consciousness we have internalized through our through our psychological and sociological developments we undergo as mostly as children but also as you know through our kind of what we call our adult lives um we have we are in this reality you know we and we can't there is limits to what we're what we're able to do at this at this point. Like I cannot, in terms of like, there are ideas within me that I just can't get. So there's things like um, ideas like time. In terms of like anti civilizational kind of thoughts around time and the clock, I that that has, has happened to me. That's 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 changed my relationship to the world. So I can't undo that domestication, uh, but I can rewild to. to an intensity to a certain intensity and be in a different space outside of time in in that here and now space where i am presentist and the reality of the calendar and the clock breaks down and that's not wild but it's not domesticated it's it's not it's something in between and it's a and it's it's kind of you know it's fluidic it's constantly changing from moment to moment and it's also very messy because what I might experience as a feral moment. Someone who, you know, if you've been, you've lived a much more kind of richly ecological life than, than I have, your experience of, of a moment will be different to my experience of a moment. And if, if you've mm-hmm. spent, you know, like all your life living in one of these mega cities, you know, these huge kind of urban complexes, like where you, you know, you've, You've never seen a like a real forest, and your your kind of first experience of what for us might be something very, for lack of a better word, unnatural. Like mm-hmm. that's going to be a much more intensely kind of 
oral experience than it would be for you or I. So there's no kind of, I'm not trying to say something that's, that's set and kind of is going to be the, the same for everyone and normalizable. It's something that is unique to every individual in my experience. Um, yeah, and it's, it's not a universal kind of concept because in that way that we're not essentialistic beings, we, we're ourselves and individualistic and we have our different subjectivities. But for me, it's, it's that sort of happening personally out in the world outside of me in this kind of thing that in the in the space that i'm an extension of feral a feral space emerging can be everything from you know a precinct but being burnt down um to a moldy sandwich at the back of the um fridge in the office fridge um as or can yeah, I interject yeah, for a second? So talking about this, this immediately, as soon as you said, you know, it could be anywhere, especially the moldy sandwich behind the fridge, reminds me of our last podcast when you talked about collapse, that yeah. collapse is always yeah. happening, right? Would you say that collapse is, you know, almost in an internal collapse, you know, if you want to talk about your own personal moments, would you say that's kind of yeah, equatable? It's, it's to, a gravitational know, pulling, pulling so collapse as, as falling, so falling in love, falling to earth, like, you know, civilizational collapse. Okay. It, is, it's a, it is feral experience, you know, from what I've had of it, um, is that kind of collapsing moment where you fall, you know, like, you know, when, mm-hmm. where you, you know, sex is feral, you're falling in love is feral, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a thing where you, you know, in terms of like, where you fall into life and in a kind of mad way that's it's and and i the way i've described it is would you very, say sorry to interrupt but it's it is pre-linguistic so me talking about this it will it's not gonna i can't say it because it's ineffable it's something that's experiential and right and in that moment it, it's it's happening but when i'm when i'm talking mm-hmm. about it i'm reality building in a way that is doesn't it doesn't work would you compare it kind of to Nietzsche's and other people's understanding of life affirmation? Would you say that's a fair? Oh comparison? yeah, yeah. So kind of, if you want to t- Nietzsche and Emil, so uh, Emil Armand, and um, I can't remember his first name, Albert Libertad, um, the the joy of life and kind of Novatore's kind of those that sort of life embracing kind of mad individualism. Um, it kind of fits fits that and. Which kind of all comes from kind of a kind of Nietzschean type thought, though the only real uh, paraphrase Nietzsche about um, Christ, the only Nietzschean, um, died on a cross. Um, yeah, there's only ever one Nietzschean, and there's only ever one Christian. Um, but yeah, it's that sort of mad embrace of life and kind of mm-hmm. everything falling apart. <laughs> and would you describe the moments that happen? You know, these feral moments. Uh, it also reminds me of of situations from you know the situation of mm-hmm. international debord and and then w- would you say that's kind of a similar concept or or would you say they're different and only similar in terms of terminology of moments and situations because those seem to be very similar but kind of in yours is obviously in a primitivistic life affirmation but also they could say in in their own communistic life affirmation would you say they're similar though in that you have these moments of well very. A, a, a 
Enlighten or enlightenment's not the correct term, but that's only the kind kind of terms I yeah, can think of. That works. Yeah, I, I definitely say it's. I again, at risk of sounding kind of a bit wanky, I'd put it as kind of a in terms of the way I'm talking about it, it's like a post situationist type thing. Um, so, like, there's it, it's it's that kind of it comes very much from a similar appreciation of experience in in the moment and kind of something that is um not about it's not about something that you know we're we're waiting for and that we're building to, to get to but it's something that's, that's here and arrives uh-huh okay you know i like that because you know i've i've had my experience and in, in situationist thought if that's what you want to call it and so when you started talking about moments of fer- ferality or what, what what would be the term for feralness I, I, something like that I, <laughs> something yeah, something whatever <laughs> yeah it reminds me of you know situationist thought in terms of situation so again it's it's weird how when i read your writings or we have our conversations whether here or in private how often it's like you seem to be like discussing a thousand other ways people see the world right but it's within your own lens and i i think that's something to be said that people are looking maybe intentionally or unintentionally for an escape, you know, from neurosis in life negating, you know, processes that are, we deal with, you know, as, as individuals and as collectives day in and day out, thanks to, you know, class society, capitalism, civilization, what have you. And then we, we all seem to have very similar thoughts, but very different ways of why those thoughts are happening and what ends they serve. You know what I mean? Like you and I serve this sort of life affirmation, anti-civilizational thought while other people delve into this, you know, what, a, you know, white nationalistic fascism, then you get, you know, situationists and their sort of decentralized view of, of, of a proletarian revolution and, you know, situationists, you know, situations happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so weird that we, it's all these things are happening and you can sort of see that everyone's coming at it from the same alienated position. But depending on, you know, how they want to choose to view society, where they are within the material reality, and their preconceived notions leads them to such different paths, but they're all at their core looking for the same thing. And that's whatever that thing is, I can't I, say with certainty. I, 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 I agree to a point and then have a slight difference on it. But, I, but in terms of like where meeting you and what you just said, what I think is, is was said better mm-hmm. than I could say it or better than I have said it. Um, as, um, Guattari, who wrote with, um, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but who wrote with Deleuze um, a lot, in his essay, The Three Ecologies, um, he ends it mm-hmm. by, um, by uh, with the claim that uh, we need the um, united in intensifying ontological differentiation. So in intensifying this process of, of these differences and the liberation of our differences and be united in a kind of in a differentiated state so having kind of this thing of non you know anti-totalitarianism so united anti-totalitarianism through intense kind of differentiation and kind of breaking away and like having our own you know what would be called an egoism kind of uniquenesses um, and mm-hmm. I, in terms of like the, the the thing that's the same, that in terms of the uh, so we all these different realities that we're kind of using in terms of the language and the the thoughts and the the kind of the different activities that we're involved in, um, but there is 
something that is you know that we have which is physical and experientially immediate that is the same which is the world that we that we are and that we that we live in that we're all kind of extensions of and in that and in a kind of you know in a hippie way you know we are all one with and you know it brings us all together in that way of unity and i there is as much as kind of there's a there's a degree of kind of nausea towards myself in the kind of hippiness but i i, I believe in that kind of like that that oneness but of a oneness that is very individualistic in practice in terms of the uh in differentiation so the kind of thing of we need less totalitarian thinking more the kind of other direction which is what i think is is happening in those mm-hmm. kind of processes is that you were processes that you were talking about um would you say this anti-totalitarianism is this a lot of coming from deleuze and you know it's kind of giving me because i'm starting to read anti-edifice that they're anti uh fascism or what there's a term that they use that i can't remember it's uh anti-libidal is how do you say it? libidal libidinal is that libidinal fascism you know what i mean that's kind of like the what you're reminding me of a little bit is their is their thoughts on on almost what amounts to psychological fascism in a way is that, that's at least your anti-totalitarianism reminds me of of that of that way of thinking is that where you get that from or is that just a common thread that i see between the two in terms of my understanding of totalitarianism do you mean yeah yeah because you seem to use it not in the sense of like you know not just like oh big scary state socialism or capitalism but rather the the relate the basic relationships between individuals and and our thoughts and you know everything like that like every relationship you seek to just you know deconstruct and obliterate uh totalitarian relationships in exchange for life affirmation and, and you know recognition of others and you know i'm rambling a little bit you know what i'm no, trying no, to say yeah, yeah i get it. so in terms of my use of the term totalitarian and what i mean of that so there's a, there's a degree of um Deleuzean, Guattarian influence there um but for me totalitarianism means building totalities so the construction of totalities the territorialization of totality so, um, okay the the building of objects of things that are total and absolute um and and with that that includes um yes libidinal totalitarianism um so uh what is the libido the libido is the flow of desire so the the flow of our our relationships with our desires and our and our ability to create we desire and desire creatively um and so you've got the kind of the the daddy authoritarian totalitarian structures which of Deleuze and Guattari seek to challenge, so the the Oedipal father figure, and then you've also got um, totalitarian structures, that, you know, of the of the state and of the the market and the boss, and you know, and all those different things that we encounter, um, and the systems that those authoritarian presences uh, are apparently, because I'm a bit skeptical that they are, but. Apparently, as they tell us, controlling everything. And so, f- mm-hmm. for me, being anti-totalitarian, um, while it includes kind of a, a rejection of authoritarianism, it's not. I'm much less worried about authoritarianism than I am about totalitarianism because I don't actually believe the authorities are in control of anything. Because I, for me, 
being an anarchist isn't a political thing. For me, I being an anarchist, I, I call myself an ontological anarchist because I believe that everything is anarchy already. We are already free. No one's really in control of it. The idea that they're in control of anything is the illusion. And the more authoritarian they get, the, is the more that idea slipping from between their fingers. What worries me is totalitarianism. So I, in terms of the most totalitarian system, um, which is where a lot of Daniel Quinn's influence on me comes, is totalitarian agriculture in terms of the totalitarian, the totalizing of agricultural space on this planet that we live on and agricultural systems and technologies that support agricultural um, functioning. And so for me, I'm much more about deconstructing totalitarian structures and destroying totalitarian structures not just agricultural structures, not just state structures, not just libidinal structures, but also things that we don't usually think of. So like, I think that the deconstruction of buildings is very important. And I think within my life, two of the most significant political moments and kind of cultural moments have been the collapsing of the World Trade Centers and the collapsing of Grenfell Tower and the way that the the deconstruction of those totalities how that happened how that affected people and people's relationships to the world is much more than is usually given credit for in kind of radical discussions and with that i think that the the destruction and the deconstruction of the police precinct holds will hold much more psychological weight than we kind of and cultural weight and liberatory rate liberate liberation words um than we currently give it credit for <laughs> and just if i can just yeah. segue into something there's something i, I said that before this i wanted to talk about um if you don't mind me because kind of like very very moving into this so um obviously lots of stuff has been happening uh in terms of like black lives matter over over in the states and there's been a lot of stuff happening uh, over here in the uk as kind of reactions what's been going on in the states and i just want to take a moment to just talk about something completely not to do with me and just to have used my opportunity here as someone who's able to speak on things and has a position kind of you know using you as a platform and as someone who has a bit of a following and people who listen to what they say for whatever reason um but i live in uh in devon in on the british isles um it is a Small kind of what you'd kind of call culturally backward part of the country. It's very non-diverse. It's it, there's a lot of kind of Tory uh, voting, kind of conservative thinking individuals here, and not kind of not a lot of radical thought goes on here. And on the twentieth of May in Torquay Police Station, which is about two hour drive away from me it's on the south coast i live on the north coast um on the 20th of may a man called uh simeon francis who was a black man um at just before 1 a.m he was arrested he was processed at the police station at 3 a.m and then put in a police cell he was in the police cell um, all day supposedly kind of you know you'd assume with um welfare checks being done and 
he and he died at 6 p.m. that same day. And the only way that makes sense to me, they're doing an investigation, but the only way that makes sense to me in terms of why he died is that it was it was killed through negligence, so, which is unacceptable. And I've been personally quite disappointed with the lack of reaction across the British Isles to this, you know, what seems to me to be a, a another police killing. Um, and I want to take the, the, a moment just to kind of, you know, just this 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 guy died because of police. You know, what seems to me to be police brutality, and that is just because it didn't get filmed doesn't mean it's not important. And I, I want to just you know acknowledge that that happened to him because that's you know I've personally been angered by this situation, and I can use this as a moment to just reflect that. I just wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. It- Obviously, we here in the states haven't haven't heard anything about that uh, that incident and what happened. And obviously, any person that is killed while in police custody is unacceptable. Um, but yeah, yeah, thank you for for taking a moment to to share that because I know here in the states we're we're drowned out by all of the recent killings that have been happening all across our country, whether it's. Uh, here where I live in Arizona uh, with Dion Johnson, who just about a week ago was killed in his car on the side of the freeway. Uh, you have Breonna Taylor in Louisville. Uh, you obviously have George Floyd in Minneapolis. Uh, the countless people across our country, California to New York to Florida to to the farthest northernmost reaches of our country that are being killed. So thank you for, for taking that moment to, to share what's happening over there. And uh, I hope that it does get a reaction just as much yeah. as we've had here in the United States um, because, because that, that man's life mattered as well. Yeah. And as much as, you know, there's a degree to which things are probably worse in the States um, in many ways. It's just don't, I have a, you know, it is not just the states, and of course, the American influence on kind of the media and social media in particular. You have there's so much people notice what goes on in in the states more than they notice what happens in other countries. And I don't know what's going, you know, what's in terms of white supremacy happening in whole hosts of kind of other parts of the world, and but it, it will be happening there, and. And I think in terms of like, that's something that happened very immediate to my kind of environment. Whereas, you know, I think we need to, you know, as much as kind of take note of these big international things and things that get international notice, we need to also look at what's happening where we live um, in a way that is much more localistic and much more kind of being aware of, you know, people who we live with and what, what structures of abuse are happening here. Like, so like for me, Badgers part of my immediate awareness because I live here. Um, I don't think about what goes on perhaps as much as I should um, in Brazil, as much as that does outrage me and disgust me in terms of what's going on with the deforestation. I don't think we, we, we look at the kind of structures of abuse where we live as much as would, I, I'd find desirable. And I, I don't want to take anything away from the kind of, I'm not saying that what happened to George Floyd isn't as bad as, as it was because it was fucking outrageous. I just think we also need to look at kind of stuff that's happening where we live because, you know, 
George Floyd didn't live where I live, and I'm not negating what he ha- what happened to him. But it's there's other people being abused as well. You know if that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. And I'm totally not want to. I, I'm really. I don't want to come across as a raising in the slightest. I'm just you know because it's it's a it's a very sensitive matter and and I'm kind of you know I'm I come from a Jewish background but I'm basically a, a white guy and I don't want to be kind of getting on other people's experiences and actions and whatever because that's not what I'm about. Yeah, no, totally. And I I completely get what you're saying. There's a lot of terrible terrible shit happening all around the world every day whether it goes from I uh, just wanted to take another moment as well. I'm sure you guys have have heard about this. Uh, Robert Fuller, who was uh, found hung outside of City Hall in Palmdale, California, just a few days ago, um, to the refugee camp in Iraq that was bombed by Turkey a few days ago, 28 civilians killed there. Um, there's just a lot of terrible shit happening um, around the world. And I think that when we do just sort of look at this from an American-centric uh, point of view, that a lot of that suffering does get uh, does get erased because of it. So yes, I totally understand what you're saying, and uh, thank you for bringing that up. No worries. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a good place to to sort of wrap it up. Um, we will put links to uh, where people can purchase your books, other writings, anything that you want us to link. Just send it to us; we'll put it in there. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, Julian. Um, we are, we'd love you to, uh, to have you on any, anytime, anytime. Awesome. Thank you. And I really appreciate you guys giving me the chance to ramble about stuff I've written and, and the, the affirmation of my thoughts that, you know, that you both kind of reflected. It's wonderful for me. And real quick, before we wrap it up, do you want to say, we'll have it in the description, but do you want to just, you know, let the listeners, anyone who's gotten to the last hour and a half almost, uh, kind of know where your writings are and where they can find your books as well as it all on your website, or are they kind of scattered around right around? There right is now? on my blog, which is Eco Revolt blog, um, uh, there is a page which is my books, um, so it's on like the top bar thing, um, and go on there there is links to everything kind of that they want or need and it's it's all there including like little little quotes from reviews that i've appreciated um we're on back and yeah it's all there and there's also um, in terms of there's links to Masodma, my short story and there is a free download um pdf of a collection of poems that i put out uh, a couple of years ago now, um, no, one year ago now, um, which is on there as well. There's loads of stuff. That's the best place to go to find my my writings. That blog. Awesome. Well, I think that's as good a place as uh, any to wrap all this up. Thank you again, Julian, for joining us today. This has been the Uncivilized Podcast, Episode 15, with Julian Langer. Uh, I hope everyone has a great day. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs>